Yes, starting from verse 11, John 15. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Um, the next one's on here, chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power, the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. These are dramatic words, aren't they, from Peter at the end of his letter. Dramatic words, scary words. A roaring lion looking for someone to devour is scary. Your enemy, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour is more scary. What does Peter mean here? How is it that the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour? How would he devour us? And how do we need to resist him? What do we need to be able to do that? Will we manage to resist him? 
Some Christians, aren't they, are very focused on the devil and either very afraid of him or very confident they can defeat him. They worry about people being possessed by the devil, of the devil controlling people, of the devil controlling particular places and we need to cast him out. They think that's how the devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour and we need to confront him with special spiritual weapons. Is that what Peter means? Or more commonly, Christians talk about the devil prowling around, enticing us with temptation. Those temptations of sex and money and power. And he wants to entice us and devour us with them. And we need to resist. Is that how Peter means us to respond? How do you work out what he means here? Well, has Peter been talking about the devil before this point in verse 8 of his letter? How many times has he mentioned the devil so far? Can you remember any? No, you can't. Because there aren't any. This is the first mention after five chapters. And he hasn't talked about temptation as a thing either. How do you work out what he means? Well, you've got to read it, haven't you? Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, that's a word we've heard before in 1 Peter, isn't it? Sufferings is a big theme. Back in chapter 1, you've, you suffer grief in all kinds of trials and they're testing your faith to prove it genuine. Last week we saw that these sufferings between Jesus' coming and Jesus' return are a fiery ordeal that God gives to purify us. And it seems here really clear to me that Peter is saying, as you suffer and you know that your brothers throughout the world are suffering, That's how the devil is prowling around looking for someone to devour. You see, as we suffer, suffer in ordinary ways that people do with sickness and relationships going bad, and suffering because we're Christians with persecution from other people, we begin to doubt. We begin to wonder whether this is really true, whether God is real, whether he really cares, and whether we've grasped hold of the truth about God. Why would his people be suffering? Was this really the message that we've received that we would suffer? And the devil thinks that he will be able to devour us. As Peter's readers experience this, as persecuted Christians today experience this, as we experience it to a small extent. So the devil is looking to devour us. And what do we need to do? Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for a Christian to devour by causing them to suffer that they might question their faith and give up or pull back on their faith. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Well, what do we need to be able to do that? 
That sounds difficult, doesn't it, to resist the devil who is like a roaring lion. What does God give us? See in your outline, he gives us elders who eagerly shepherd us by their word and example. Do you see it there in verse 1? To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, says Peter, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. When you're reading through 1 Peter, and this is what I'd always thought, and you get to chapter 5, it seems like it comes out of the blue. You've had chapter 4 about this fiery ordeal, about the sufferings, and you've got to not be ashamed but rejoice. And then suddenly it seems like Peter goes, well, I've finished that bit. I think I'll talk to the elders for a while. No, the word therefore is there, except none of you can see it because the English translators don't put it in for some reason that's completely beyond me. You will suffer in a fiery ordeal, says Peter, therefore to the elders among you, you need elders who will shepherd you. And you see here, first of all, that Peter is an elder. He is a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings. And do you remember when he witnessed Christ's sufferings? There is Christ being interrogated. He is around the fire. He is accused three times of being a follower of Jesus. And the devil was prowling around looking for someone to devour and he did not stand firm. He knows what it is to not stand firm when the devil confronts you with suffering. And so he writes this letter. He writes this letter to shepherd God's people. For you do, do you remember what Jesus said to him after he had resurrected and he forgave him? And he said to Peter, Peter, shepherd my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Feed them with my word so that they know and are sustained in their faith. And that is exactly what Peter is doing here. Have a look at verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast. Stand firm. In it. As you suffer and you wonder whether this is the true message from God, did they really tell you that you were going to suffer or is this some small print that they forgot to reveal to you? No, Peter says, this is part of the Christian life. I want you to know about it front and centre. I'm writing this down that you may know. They knew, persecuted Christians today can know and we can know. You can see why we need to read Peter's letter. We need to be shepherded by him. We need to know the true grace of God involves suffering. You can see why our persecuted brothers and sisters need a Bible, can't you? But Peter knows they need more than just him and his letter. And so he says at the beginning of the chapter, to the elders among you, Not from outside, like Peter is, but people in the congregation who have been appointed, who have the role of being shepherds. Shepherds of God's flock to protect them, to care for them, to feed them. They need these shepherds to do this for them. 
And they need them to do it well with the right motivations. Do you see what he says? Not because you must, verse uh, 2, but because you are willing. Not greedy for money or shameful gain or just for respect or kudos, but eager to serve. Your motives must be right, you elders, and your manner or your method must be right. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Being like Jesus, who did not lord it over like the Gentile wars, but gave himself in service. We need elders to shepherd us with their word and their example so that we will resist the devil and stand firm. So as we pray for the persecuted church, we need to pray that they'll have elders amongst them who teach them the truth and who care for them. And as a fellow elder, I appeal to you tonight, if you're one of our elders, the elders among us, those who shepherd us, we have elders in our church, but we also have growth group leaders and youth leaders and kids church leaders, and to some extent we all shepherd one another, that's true. Do you do it because you are willing, not because you must? Do you do it not for greedy gain and to look good in front of the rest of your fellow believers, but because you want to serve? And even in dire circumstances, and even when the people you are shepherding are not responding, do you simply trust the word and your example to shepherd the people? Or do you lord it over them? We need shepherds to enable us to resist the devil and to stand firm. And I guess it goes without saying then, if that's what we need, we need to accept that's what we need. And we need to submit to our elders. Do you see what it says in verse 5? Young men, young people, it says, in the same way be submissive to those who are older. Now young people do need to be respectful to older people. But the word here for older is the same word as elder. And it seems obvious to me, having spoken about elders for four verses just before it, he's still talking about elders. We need elders. So young people, those who perhaps are most likely not to be submissive to elders who are shepherding them, perhaps. Young people, be submissive to your elders. Do you really think you need people to shepherd you? Or would you be okay on your own? Do you really think you need leaders in the church to direct and govern the church and set a direction and that you need to follow? Yes, we need to suggest our ideas and make criticisms and if our leaders are getting it wrong, we need to speak to someone about that. But otherwise, we need to be submissive to our leaders. For submission is a good thing in society, in marriage and in the workplace and in the church. And if we're going to stand firm together, we need elders and we need to be submissive to our elders. The devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Devour when we suffer and doubt whether this is the true grace of God. What do we need to do? We need to stand firm. And what does God give us to help us do that? He gives us leaders, leaders who shepherd us. And we need to be submissive to them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the devil's real. We know that because you tell us. 
And we know that he is prowling around looking to devour our faith. Enable us to resist him, standing firm in the faith, for we know this is the true grace of God. And Father, we thank you for giving us Peter and his letter. And Father, we thank you for giving us elders, leaders who shepherd us. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to be submissive to their leadership. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought... I should tell you this point, probably there's a second part to the sermon. You get more for your money tonight. But before then, I thought it would be really good to meet a real live elder. We have elders in our church, and I thought it would be good to understand this group of people, this body, uh, who provide shepherding for our church in a particular way uh, by meeting one of the elders. And the elder who comes to our church is Graham, so he was the obvious choice. So Graham's going to come out, and I'm going to ask him a few questions. Thanks, Graham. Uh, Elder Graham. Yes, young Sean. Uh, uh, not every church has people called elders. Why do we have elders in our church? Yep, okay. It goes back to almost when dinosaurs were roaming around. Um, I think it's pretty close to when I was in youth group, or just shortly afterwards. Um, Neil Pratt, who was the then minister here, and John Baxter, a mate of his who was over at Blacksland. Um, pretty fresh out of more college in those days. And as they were, as I understand it, as they were reading through the Bible, they kept coming up with New Testament situation that expects congregations expects God's people to have elders. It seems as they read, um, or the passage we've looked at tonight, or Timothy or Titus or Hebrews or a couple of chapters in Acts where Peter and, and Paul just speak to the elders, um, that was the norm. And I think back then... Um, it's fair to say any group of people has leaders in it. It's whether they're formally recognised in doing a task or whether they just happen to be the ones you go to and you see as the elders. Um, I think Neil at the time thought that it was a good idea to have this plurality of elders because um, in the Anglican system that we're in, all those tasks fall to the senior minister um, and ordained ministers in that spot. So Neil thought that, um, taught us about it, convinced at least those of us who were around back then, um, and it's grown since then. And uh, Sandy Grant, who was here, and Sean continued on with it. That's how we had it. Thanks, Graham. It is a biblical idea, and uh, uh, it's been formalised in our church to some extent, which is really, really helpful, I think, and I found it really helpful. Uh, so, shepherds, according to our pa uh, elders, according to our passage tonight, are to be shepherds of God's people, giving oversight or being overseers. Uh, so, what exactly do elders do then? Yes, certainly. Um, 
back in when we were looking at this lots of years ago and when Sandy wrote something, um, the summary was that elders provide pastoral leadership and oversight by means of teaching and setting a godly example. Um, so what does that actually mean? For me, I go back to probably a strange place. I go back to Psalm 23, Psalm that talks about Jesus being the shepherd and the, the shepherding things that Jesus does. Um, Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So he provides. The shepherd provides for the sheep. Um, how does he provide? Well, in the context here, it's the teaching. Um, so as, as elders from time to time, we meet with Sean and look to try and ensure that the teaching that you, is being received is systematic, is consistent, is across the whole word of God. doesn't just pick and choose the bits we want and avoid the tough things God has to say. So there's that idea of providing. Um, there's the idea of the shepherd providing protection and care for. Um, so again, that's how we deal in the Word of God. Ah, there's, I can think of some times where people have raised issues about the content of teaching. So, as elders, we've gone back over those sermons to see if we could see the problem, um, to see if it was a justified sort of criticism or not, and then move from there to say, no, look, I actually think you might be looking at it the wrong way or haven't heard or, yeah, there, there was something not quite right there and you need to be more careful. So there's that sort of protection. But I think there's protection too that comes from the word of God just being shared that helps us to realise we're all fallen, sinful people. We're all infected by a society and a world that wants to tell us everything contrary to what God says. And we need to confront those issues. So we do those sort of things. Um, we spend time regularly at our meetings and between meetings simply praying for people. Sometimes it's for people who are having tough times, who are stuck in awkward circumstances, but it's not, that's not the case for everything because we just simply pull out the church roll and go from front to back, praying for the people in there. If we know of specific things, pray for those. If not, we just simply pray that you get to know Jesus better. So there's that prayer as well. Um, what else do shepherds do? I think the goal of any shepherd is to preserve their flock, to see them reach their hope of dwelling with their God forever. So anything that we can do to help with that is what we do. Out, okay. of, all, out of all that, Graham, what do you enjoy most about it? <laughs> enjoy. 
I enjoy golf. I don't know that I enjoy. <laughs> um, I'm not going to go with the word joy. Enjoy. I want to go with the word joy. There is simply great joy in serving Jesus, whether the task's particularly pleasant or not. So that's what do I enjoy about elders being in the elders group? Serving Jesus, trying to do what he wants me to do. Thanks, Graham, and thank not just for the interview, but for being one of our elders. And I want to thank the elders publicly. I think it's a great asset for our church. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us what we need uh, to be able to uh, resist the devil and to stand firm. And one of those things is elders who uh, shepherd us. Father, we thank you for uh, the many uh, people who shepherd us in our church uh, and for the way that they care and protect uh, and feed us. And Father, we thank you for this group of uh, elders uh, and for their history in our church and for the role they play uh, in overseeing, offering uh, teaching and a godly example that they might provide oversight for our church. Uh, Father, we pray that you would sustain them and grow them uh, in their own Christian life and enable them to uh, resist the devil and to stand firm and uh, that you would give them joy as they seek to do that for all of us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So resist the devil, stand firm in the faith. We need elders to help us to do this uh, by their word and by their example. But we need to humble ourselves as well. Humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. You see there in verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As the devil is prowling around looking for someone to devour, as he brings suffering our way, normal suffering, and in particular here it's talking about the suffering of being persecuted, so he wants us to give up on God and to see that God is in control of all things and that he has brought this to us. What do we need to do? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Again and again, Peter has said that it can be God's will that you suffer for doing good. And so what does it mean to humble yourselves under God's mighty hand? It's to accept that despite what you would like him to do, Despite what you have prayed that he would do, he has brought your circumstances to you. And to humble yourself under his mighty hand. To know that it's not because he's weak that your circumstances are like this. To know that it's not because he does not care for you that your circumstances are like this. He is mighty and he cares for you and he asks you to trust him. And do you need to know why he is doing things and why such a thing has happened for you to trust him? No. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And how do you express, how do you show that you have humbled yourself under his mighty hand? 
Verse 7 flows out of verse 6. This is how you do it, by casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, we need to be careful here because some people, some people, I think, are just more prone to be anxious about things than others. That's their personality. Some people have more things to be anxious about than others. There are those of us who are not anxious at all, who are a bit laid back, really, and perhaps could learn some anxiety from time to time, but really might be tempted to look down on those who are anxious as if they didn't trust God. There are personality and lifestyle, life situation issues here. But it's what you do with your anxiety that matters, do you see? He assumes here that you have anxieties. By casting all your anxieties on him. By coming to God and under his mighty hand and coming and asking him and leaving those things with him even if he doesn't fix them the way that you would like them fixed. That is casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Will they then then be fixed? Will you then no longer feel anxious? No, it doesn't give that promise at the end of the verse. But as we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand by casting all our anxieties on him, so we depend upon him and accept that suffering is part of his plan for Christians in this world that they might be purified. As you do that, can the devil devour you and think into thinking that God is not on your side, that he does not care for you and that this is not his true grace? No, because you are actively humbling yourself under his mighty hand. What we need to pray for our persecuted brothers and brothers and sisters. We need to pray that they have a Bible. We need to pray they've got elders who will shepherd them. And we need to pray that they will deliberately, consciously, humble themselves under God's mighty hand and accept that this persecution they are experiencing is from him. And what do we need to pray for ourselves? Exactly the same. Is there a particular situation that you're involved in at the moment that you wish was different, that you are struggling with, and you find it really hard to believe that this is God's will for your life? Humble yourself under God's mighty hand by casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour that you will give up on your faith. So resist him by standing firm in the faith. What does God give us to enable us to do that? Elders who shepherd us with their word and example and we need to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. But you'd still be wondering, wouldn't you? Am I going to make this? Am I going to survive? Am I going to stand firm for however more decades God gives me on this earth? I mean, you might be struggling just at the moment with the things you're experiencing. Who knows what the future will bring? Or when you think about the persecution that our brothers and sisters experience, as soon as you hear about it, you immediately think, don't you, at least I do, what would I do in that situation? Would I actually stand firm? Well, there's some great news in this chapter. It's not just commands of what we need to do or even just what we need in the church. 
It's encouragement about God. Do you see what it says about God in verse 2? The elders are to shepherd the flock. But whose flock is it? It's God's flock. He's the shepherd. Do you think he's just going to let them pass away? And yes, there is a chief shepherd. Did you see him in verse 4? He hasn't appeared yet, but that doesn't mean he's not on the job. He's taken a break and gone to Fiji for a holiday. No, he's the chief shepherd and he is on the job. He is the shepherd of our souls. Jesus is our shepherd. That's got to give you reassurance. Verse 5, it says, he continually gives grace to the humble. And so when we read in verse 8 that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and we shake in our boots, we've got to keep reading because verse 10 says, But the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. Could you find more reassuring words than that? Who is stronger and more powerful and has a mightier hand than the devil? It's the God of all grace. Not only does he care for you, he's the God of all grace who keeps on bestowing generosity upon you. And he called you to his eternal glory. Do you think he's just going to give up halfway through the plan? That wasn't worth doing. He wasn't worth investing in after all. No. After you've suffered a little while, he will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Resist the devil. Stand firm in your faith. But hear the reassurance as well on you. He's the God of all grace. And as we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, we cannot fall, for he will make us strong, firm, and steadfast. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that we would take the devil seriously, for he is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But we thank you for these commands. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith, as if we could do it. We thank you for elders. Pray that we would humble ourselves under your mighty hand. But we thank you most of all, that you are the God of all grace. That you give us what we need, and you will enable us to stand firm. Give us confidence and peace. Pray in Jesus' name.